Will the real election deniers please stand up? It's time for a mea culpa from Democrats. Quote, We had to do something in Bush v. Gore because countries were laughing at us. France was laughing at us. End quote. Antonin Scalia, The Nine, Inside the Secret World of the Supreme Court. I grew up in the 1980s thinking my vote didn't matter. I became an election denier because that's what Democrats have always been. I grew up with cynicism and mild hatred of the government. My childhood was spent living through the last time the Democrats took a major fall, from Richard Nixon to Ronald Reagan, with Watergate and Carter in between. Democrats felt hopeless until Bill Clinton came along in 1992. He was the first Democrat to serve two full terms since FDR. But by 1999, the cynicism was back because Bill Clinton had been impeached, the party humiliated, and our last best hope hung on the vice president, Al Gore, the man with no charisma to speak of. I was one of those angry Democrats in 2000 who watched the Supreme Court stop counting ballots that handed the presidency to George W. Bush. We weren't thinking about the reasons Gore might have lost, like gun control. We blamed the court, and we blamed Florida, We blamed Ralph Nader. We blamed everyone but ourselves. The Supreme Court was corrupt, we believed. So were all the operatives in the GOP that rigged the election for Bush. A rigged election would result in two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, if only the Supreme Court hadn't selected Bush. I remember Oliver Stone's film Nixon, his best, which suggested that Nixon had JFK assassinated so he could one day rise. And rise, he did. To Stone, though, that caused the Vietnam War and all the ravages that followed. That is some election denying. Nixon himself had believed that the 1960 election had been rigged. After all, he and Trump are still the only two people to have won Florida, Iowa, and Ohio and lost the presidency. Nixon chose not to object to any of it. Trump chose to fight. Back then, the left felt Nixon's win was so destructive that it ended everything for them, their optimism and their counterculture revolution. Warren Beatty made the film Shampoo to suggest they were all involved in silly narcissistic games before Nixon won and the world ended. They all blamed Nixon for Vietnam, but they also resented him for ending the 1960s for good. Coming out of the 2000 election, our main complaint was that Gore gave in too easily and quickly Many of us thought he should have dug his heels in and fought harder, and that we all should have been more insistent in objecting. That's another word for protests. We didn't because we were still burned from the landslide loss in 1972, blamed on the left's anti-war protests. Some protests started around that time, like against the World Trade Organization, but it wouldn't be until the $700 billion bailout that a whole protest movement would rise. Occupy Wall Street on the left, and eventually the Tea Party would form on the right. Something was happening that would only grow as more people got online and were more connected than ever before. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a graphic of an article by Jonathan Chait that says, yes, Bush v. Gore did steal the election. And another headline, 10 years since Bush v. Gore, the stolen election of 2000 by Patrick Martin. Quote, Sunday, December 12th, marks 10 years since the U.S. Supreme Court effectively decided the outcome of the 2000 presidential election, 
halting the counting of votes in Florida and awarding the White House to George W. Bush, the 5-4 ruling in Bush v. Gore, together with the contemptible capitulation of the Democratic Party, constituted a milestone in the decay of American democracy, end quote. By 2016, we were again in a protesting state of mind. And we believed America belonged not to Trump, not to his supporters, but to us. Anyone who pretends like we accepted Trump's win is lying. There has never been an elected president with that many forces working together to take him out of office. Never. There have never been worldwide protests against the election of a U.S. president. There have never been the kind of violent protests we had in this country over an elected president. We didn't hold not-my-president rallies and pay investigators to see if Russians had hacked voting machines. We never had nervous breakdowns. We never had so many marches. It was clear that we all viewed Trump's win as an invasion of a foreign entity or a virus that had to be immediately purged. We did not accept him as the legitimate president. We were election deniers. From The Hill, quote, According to data from the latest Harvard-Harris poll provided exclusively to The Hill, 68% of voters said Democrats have not accepted that Trump won fairly and is a legitimate president. That figure includes 69% of Republicans, 69% of Independents, and 65% of Democrats. One of the reasons Carrie Lake is such a strong candidate is that she comes from the media and has no problem calling them out on their hypocrisy and their double standard. You know, I, I did a little, actually, Anthony. Anthony, how old are you? 20. Are you a journalist? No. Well, you did better research than half these people. Um, let's talk about election deniers. Here's 150 examples of Democrats denying election results. Oh, wow, look at this. This is from, this is from uh, Joe Biden's press secretary. Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Democrats saying that. Is that an election denier? Oh, look at this. Just heard Republican Ryan Costello said it would be difficult for Stacey Abrams to win because she lost her state bid, but yet she's still claiming she never lost. This is outright Hillary Clinton. Trump is an illegitimate president. Is she an election denier? Monday was a U.S. holiday known as President's Day. But for thousands of anti-Trump militants, it was not my President's Day. They rallied here in New York and in more than two dozen cities across the country to protest against the man who moved into the White House just one month ago. I do believe his campaign colluded with the Russians. And if that is the case, he should be impeached and he should be locked up. We got to get him out of the White House. He doesn't belong there. From Chicago to Los Angeles and Washington, D.C., demonstrators took aim at Trump's policies on immigration, abortion, climate change and Russia and his overall divisive statements. It was much bigger than a violent riot at the Capitol and lawsuits by Trump and his supporters who insisted there was widespread fraud. No, the FBI was involved. When the establishment got in on it, the media was on board. And by 2020, they were willing to crash the economy to ensure Trump was brought down. We were now not only of a protesting state of mind, but of a revolutionary state of mind. We called Trump an existential threat 
because for the four years he was in office, we were consumed by waves of mass hysteria. The Me Too movement, and eventually the Black Lives Matter movement, would birth a series of witch hunts that would lead to mass firings and a climate of fear. We all believed all we had to do was get rid of Trump and everything would go back to normal. If you take the largest protests in American history under the four years Trump was in power, and then think about the summer of 2020, you can see how the left of this country was ready for civil war just to take Trump out of power. The weird thing was that they could not paint the Trump supporters as equally violent. The Proud Boys showed up. There were sometimes brawls. They would be armed and forming a kind of citizen army to protect property like Kyle Rittenhouse. But they weren't violent the same way the left had become. They weren't burning buildings or assaulting police officers. In fact, if anything, they prided themselves on being nonviolent. That is why January 6th was so out of character for them. Even a large protest in D.C. that day was out of character for them. It meant a lot to have their collective voices heard. I'd been, out of curiosity, following the Stop the Steal movement on the War Room podcast. I knew what they were planning to do. They wanted to have Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz debate how the election laws had been suddenly altered, using COVID as the pretext. Trump supporters were watching his speech, not planning to bust into the Capitol and stop the count, certainly not to overthrow the government. That is its own big lie, and it's ugly. These are patriots who love their country. The last thing they would want to do is overthrow or destroy it. Whatever was going on with the Oath Keepers and the breach had nothing directly to do with Trump and seemed to be driven by someone else's plan. The only explanation was that the FBI had to have been involved. When you read up on the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping story in Esquire, where there were more informants than kidnappers, it's clear that this FBI was prepared to go the distance to do what they could to meddle in the 2020 election. That story won't be told for a while, but if the GOP takes the House... Maybe it will. For four years, Trump supporters watched their president attacked every day with everything he said cherry-picked and thrown into the media churn to drive the news cycle. They watched them mock Kellyanne Conway's age and Sarah Huckabee Sanders' makeup, the size of Trump's hands, his hair, his family. Since Trump was never accepted as legitimate president, no fashion magazine would have Melania Trump on the cover. To do so was met with vicious attacks on Twitter. The idea that the president deserved respect from the country was abandoned. Democracy? What democracy? We're in charge. Get out of our country. Get out of our White House. The one thing they couldn't do, though, was defeat Trump. They still can't. It took $400 million to fund private companies, to collect ballots, change election laws in the swing states, and a completely biased propaganda news media to twist the narrative and gaslight the public to make sure everyone knew what to do on election day. And even then, Biden barely won. Democracy says that if someone campaigns to win the vote of the people, then that vote should be respected. Democrats don't believe that unless a Democrat is in power. Now they're trying everything they can to subvert democracy, to block Trump from even making a run for office. Does that sound like people who have faith in American elections? But good luck trying to have this conversation with anyone on the left. They will shut you down. Their game is that they get to say what happened, how it happened, and why it happened. They are fed a narrative that they believe. 
few will question any of it for fear of being called a conspiracy theorist. If you bring up the hypocrisy of 2016 and 2020, Democrats will always say, but we didn't breach the Capitol. They might not have breached the Capitol on Inauguration Day, but they breached the Capitol in Michigan and Wisconsin in years prior. Dust is finally settling tonight from what turned out to be a rather tense display of free speech in Lansing. It began with a crowd estimated at more than 3,000 demonstrators right outside the Capitol. Union members and others spoke out against things like taxing pensions and giving emergency financial managers sweeping new powers. Then later in the day, protesters gathered inside the rotunda and struggles followed after some of them refused to leave. What had been a day of relatively peaceful protests ended like this in a street just outside the Capitol. State police wrestle one man to the ground. Another officer in the background shoves a young woman to the street. It all began a couple hours earlier inside the rotunda. Some 70 people vowed to stay inside the Capitol until their complaints about the governor's budget plans are heard. So this is the only way that we're going to have to have a voice. But Capitol police warned them they would not be allowed to stay the night in the rotunda. When a handful of the protesters argued, police made their first move, arresting six of the protesters and dragging them out of the rotunda. That was warning enough for most of the rest who left peacefully. Then they will say, well, we weren't trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power. Okay, but what do you call what happened with Justice Kavanaugh? What do you call pressuring senators to vote your way? These are live images, folks, at the doors of the Supreme Court, where you can see protesters have gathered. They are demanding that their voices be heard as they anticipate who will, what, who, the person who will be a new Supreme Court justice, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, be sworn in here any moment. In a bigger picture, you can see approximately how many people who have gathered there. It looks like there are dozens, and they are chanting. Kavanaugh has got to go, is what I'm hearing them say. You see, there is high security there. As we look at these pictures, I, I want to bring in with me here Ariane DeVogue and Julie Pace. Ariane, when you look at these pictures, having covered the Supreme Court for so long, have you ever seen anything like this? Well, I'll tell you this. You're usually not allowed on those stairs. You're not allowed up there. We did see the night he was nominated, there was a peaceful uh, protest where people were allowed to stand and stand. Uh, sit on those stairs, but we haven't seen anything like this. And why it's particularly interesting is we believe that he's going to be sworn in behind closed doors with uh, Chief Justice John Roberts giving him one oath, uh, Justice Kennedy uh, delivering the other vote, which of course is so poignant because not only is he taking Justice Kennedy's seat, uh, but uh, it's uh, his former boss. He yeah. clerked for the, him there. But this is very unusual. We don't see this kind of protests. Uh, the high court. When you watch the Kavanaugh hearing back, it's easy to see how unhinged the left already was. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsay said hello, because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? 
No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham that you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, you're looking for a fair process. You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Then they will next say they aren't politically violent, but we know they are. Captured on cell phone video, the chilling moment that rapid gunfire broke out in Alexandria this morning. Shots being fired, and there are people running, possibly victims involved. An all-out gun battle. As Capitol Hill police and Alexandria officers engaged a lone gunman, 66-year-old James Hutchkinson, targeting Republican members of Congress who were practicing for a charity baseball game. We need medics. We got a suspect. Right by the baseball field, from the YMCA. There's also a victim down in the baseball field. Among the first to be hit, Republican whip Steve Scalise. He's drug himself from the dirt infield to the grass outfield. Uh, there's a trail of blood. Uh, we can't help him. We're helpless. I mean, we're, we've got bats versus uh, rifle. Scalise's security detail and the Capitol Hill police immediately... Be Tonight, an apparently deeply disturbed man is accused of plotting to assassinate Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. University advisor caller came to kill Supreme Court Justice Rex Kavanaugh. It was just after 1 a.m. when authorities say Nicholas Roski stepped out of a cab right in front of Justice Kavanaugh's home. Roski of California quickly caught the attention of U.S. Marshals and Montgomery police who were on security detail. The 26-year-old, dressed in black and carrying a backpack and suitcase, walked away from the home. Within minutes, the FBI claims he called 911, telling the dispatcher he was, quote, having suicidal thoughts that he was there to kill a specific Supreme Court justice. Roski was immediately arrested. Authorities say they discovered a Glock semi-automatic pistol, two magazines of bullets, and burglary gear, including a crowbar, hammer, and padded shoes. Overnight, all-out brawls outside the Trump rally in San Jose, California. Trump supporters harassed, beaten, and bloodied by mobs of protesters. They were like spitting on me and stuff. This man says he was sucker punched, his clothes torn off his back. Like seven more people just come in and start punching me. Carl, I look pretty bad. This lone female Trump supporter tried to stand her ground. Her sign torn from her hands, her glasses ripped off, then shoved in her face. A woman wearing a Trump jersey cornered and then egged in the face. Fights breaking out in the streets all over the convention. Inside, Trump spoke to a large and welcoming crowd. The assassin who wanted to kill Kavanaugh had zip ties. So did the man who broke into the Pelosi home. Do you think the media treated those two incidents similarly? I know the people whose power might be challenged tonight will not take it well. Just look at recent history. They've successfully flipped the script to make MAGA the violent side, the election-denying side. But in the next few years, we'll see protests that make 2020 look like child's play. When laws start to change and the conservatives start pulling our country right, those who are used to having control of everything 
aren't going to go along with a peaceful transfer of power. For years after Reagan won in 1980, the left was powerless. By the time Barack Obama won in 2008, they could take control of nearly every corner of American life, culturally and politically. They influenced and redefined almost everything. They built an empire, a new shining city on the hill. To hold on to that, they've been willing to take political protests to the extreme, exploit our formerly objective media, and outright lie about the people they share this country with. But worst of all, they've been consumed by fear. They have become so panicked, they imagine all sorts of terrible things. They see it in their mind's eye, and to them, it's real, just like witches flying around Salem and spectral evidence, which is evidence you can't see but can only imagine. They never had a utopia to lose, so they don't know how to handle it. But they can't function or govern when they are this afraid. They just want to be what they used to be. They want to be admired as the best and the brightest, living their best lives, showcasing those lives on social media, tinkering with their reimagined America, with a president they like and admire watching over them. Now their utopia is crumbling. The Hillary feminist that represents the base of the Democratic Party is now being asked to step aside for transgender rights. That's why Gretchen Whitmer has to say, people with periods. The Hillary feminist that marched with the pink hats and screamed at Kavanaugh is fading. That, probably more than anything else, marks a major pendulum shift they never saw coming. So who are they now? How do they define themselves? They can only see Trump, the thing they fear. It's all Trump all the time. Their unprecedented primetime show trial did the exact opposite of what they thought it would do. They expected it would look important, which would scare his supporters away. But all it did was make him look more powerful. Worse, it made our country look ridiculous, weak, and terrified. Whatever you might think of Trump, the fact that he looms as large as he does, proves that there is no leadership on the left. As of writing this, I do not know how the midterm elections will turn out. But I know that the people who control the Democrats now, the loudest voices on Twitter, and the massive media machine that does their bidding, are fueled by an ongoing hysteria based on ongoing delusions. They have gone all the way to the most extreme every time. They've been this afraid for six years since Trump won. They're strung out, desperate. How much longer before they upend American democracy completely to make sure nobody like Trump ever has a shot at running for president? Their fear will get worse until they understand that this country, its culture and its government, economy and history, don't just belong to them. It belongs to all of us. The grassroots movement on the right challenging them today is not going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. Apologies for the noise, but it was raining pretty hard here in LA, which it never does. Hope you have a nice election eve, and remember, to thine own self be true.